We are in the book of Proverbs, and I'm going over uh, the uh, landmarks found in Proverbs, those important points of life, you know, things that you wish your mom and dad would have told you or somebody would have told you when you're younger. And what we're looking at, of course, uh, right now is authority. That's the first landmark. Proverbs uh, 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I've been going over, uh, we talked about the fear of the Lord a little bit. Been talking about some of the authorities that we um, come into contact on this planet as we wait to, to go home. Talked about mom and dad. Uh, talked about the government. Talked about the uh, workplace, the master-servant relationship. <coughs> so what we're going to talk about right now is the is the last authority that Proverbs uh, mentions. And that authority is what I call instructors of righteousness. Your teachers and your instructors, your pastors, your, your uh, so forth and so on. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, this deals specifically <coughs> with those teachers who teach in the matters of the things of, um, of wisdom and knowledge and understanding those things that uh, are, are knowledge of the holy which is the Word of God. And so that's uh, what we're going to look at today. So let me go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into our lesson. And Father in Heaven, we come to You, and You are the uh, source of wisdom. You are the fountain of life, Father. You have given us Your Word that is Your truth. Contained within it, Lord, is uh, the knowledge that we need for this life. Father in Heaven, Your Word has rocked this world. It has changed this world, Father, because it is indeed truth. And we thank You so much, Lord, that we have it in our possession. Thinking about all of those individuals who gave their lives in order to to that one that day that we can sit here and have it laying in our laps father and and ho- and hold it in our hands now father in heaven as we begin to look into your word father i pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and especially our hearts to receive father what you want us to see and instruct us lord because you are the great teacher we thank you and praise you in christ's name amen so um, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 uh, talking about um, teachers and, and, and pastors and such in Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 11 uh, Paul writes to the Ephesian church he says and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what we see here is that God has gifted the church with gifted individuals who are gifted to be pastors, gifted to be teachers of God's word to, to, to God's people. And there's a threefold purpose behind this gifting of the body. Uh, with these individuals, these pastors and these teachers. And the first one that we see here is for the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. Now, when you think of the word perfect, what do you think of? You think of something flawless? Yeah, complete. is a good. That's a good word, complete. It doesn't necessarily mean something flawless, but it does mean something complete. It means to furnish or equip. There's also another um, application to this word, perfecting of the saints. It also means to mend, to mend, or, or to join together, or to repair, or to repair. Uh, isn't that kind of what God does for us in, in our life? He, he, he mends us. He repairs us. Not only does he do that, but he also equips us. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Of course, doctrine... Uh, that establishes the right way of thinking and the right way of behaving. It's, it's the foundation. It's, it's the reason why 
we believe that we believe we how we believe it's the reason why we do what we do it's the foundation it's the rock that we are to build our houses on versus the sand that the foolish man builds their house on so doctrine is that is that uh, teaching of the faith the teaching of the faith that we believe in reproof uh, targets wrong behavior uh, correction addresses wrong thinking and then instruction gives us the right course to take according to right doctrine in order to correct our thinking and to correct our behavior that comes from this wrong thinking. So um, <clears throat> so for the perfecting of the saints, uh, we are blessed with some gifted individuals. The church has been blessed with some given, uh, gifted individuals uh, that's able to do this, be able to perfect the saints. Proverbs 15, 9-10 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. He says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. So that's kind of a watch out. You know, God's given us some good teachers. He's given us some good pastors. And it's, it's to our detriment if we do not pay attention to what they are teaching us, what they are preaching to us, what they're telling us. If they're straight with God's word, then it would do us, you know, do us good to listen to what they have to say. Do I hear a rousing amen? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so a gifted teacher or a gifted pastor will be very adept in, in pointing out the right way to go and that's what we need the second thing is for the work of the ministry uh, the purpose of this perfecting the purpose of the mending the purpose of the uh, completing the furnishing uh, that's for the work of the ministry uh, you're right there nearby uh, go to Titus chapter 2 Titus chapter 2 and when somebody gets to Titus chapter 2 would someone please read verses 11 through 14 Zealous of good works. There's a lot there in that little passage, but I'm not going to take the time to unpack it. But there is a lot there. But essentially, this is the heartbeat of HBF. How many times have you heard Brian from the pulpit say uh, to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God to the glory of God? How many times have we heard him say that? That's the, that's the heartbeat of this church. That's the heartbeat of this church, to equip, to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now think about it, you know, from Life Issues Ministry. Now Life Issues Ministry is a ministry that mends, right? Life Issues Ministry is a ministry that binds up the brokenhearted and, and, and pours ointment into the wounds. The whole purpose of that, of that uh, ministry is, is to pay, bring people in who have been broken through addiction and everything else and mend them so that they will be able to be a part of the ministry, be able to, to uh, be a part of the work of the ministry. And then we have all the way to uh, um, Word First Publishing. Word First Publishing. What is the goal of Word First Publishing? To get the Word of God out to, to people groups who may not have a Bible in their language or people groups that may not have the written Word of God uh, that they can hold in their own hands. See, that's the work of the ministry. So everything from, from mending uh, broken people all the way to sending God's word out to a, a sin-ravaged and sin-torn world, that's, that's what HBF is all about. That's what HBF is all about. I, I wouldn't want to be a part of a church that wasn't about that. 
Would you? Now, I wouldn't want to be a part of the church that all I do is sit on my hands in a pew and listen to someone drone on and on about some spiritual platitude that makes no uh, practical, you know, has no reality for my life. And then the edifying of the body. Perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body. That's the act of promoting growth. Promoting growth and wisdom and knowledge and understanding concerning the truth. That's that thoroughly furnished. That's why we have D1 and that's why we have D2 and that's why we have HBI and that's why we have, um, uh, what is this called? I want to call it Sunday school. I know that. A Bible hour. You know? That's why we have these things. That's why we have Sunday night prayer and Wednesday night. That's why we have these things. That's why we have all these ministries for you to get involved in the E-Wing or get up here in the AV booth or Word First Publishing or whatever it is. Because you realize that the only way you're going to mature is is until you put what you learn into practice. And so we provide the avenue, the, 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 uh, the way to practice those things. Go back to uh, Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. You know, we think of, you know, we think of the pastors and we think of the teachers. And we think, okay, well, that's a, that's a select group. And it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a group that's been gifted and, and given as a gift. But look at this here in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 1. <coughs> it says, The words of Agur, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Eucal. Even the prophecy, the word prophecy, when you think of the word prophecy, what do you think of? You think of something foretold in the future, right? Well, that's only a part of it. That's only a part of it. The word prophecy also means teaching. Teaching. That's what the Old Testament prophets were. They were preachers of righteousness. They were teachers. Remember, Elijah had his school of prophets. Well, he was teaching them. The things of God. This man here is a teacher of others. Now how does that relate? Can you think of something that we do in this church that relates to that? Yeah, it's called Discipleship One. If you're taking someone through Discipleship One, you're being, a, uh, you're being this individual here. You're instructing someone in the ways of righteousness. And, and you don't have to be a pastor or a teacher, you, you know. And it's open to you know, men and women. It's not exclusive. So you're a teacher if you're taking someone through discipleship. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 1. Somebody read verse 1 of Proverbs 31. Who taught him? His mother. That's right. Don't, Mom, don't let anybody tell you that your place in the family is nothing or it doesn't count or it's let me tell you something you play an extremely crucial role in the family you can raise your children in the way of righteousness you can teach them about Jesus you can be that spiritual leader for your children 
And blessed are the mothers who see that and see the importance of that and carry that out. That's what we need. We need more moms willing to step up and take on that role in the home. But unfortunately in this country, the role of of motherhood has been, you know, not treated very, not treated like it should have been. couple other passages. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. You know what that tells me? That tells me that just because somebody's up here preaching the Bible, you need to check them out. Are they living the faith that they're teaching? Right? Are they living the faith that they are teaching? Whose faith follow? Can you follow the teachers and the pastors that are teaching you with a clear conscience? Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls... As that they, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. How many times have we heard Brian confess that he knows he's going to be held accountable one of these days? And I do believe that Brian watches out over our souls. But you know, there's another part of this passage here in verse 17. Some of us make it very difficult on Brian. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be the kind of people that make it difficult for, for, for our pastors and our teachers to watch out after our souls. How you doing, sir? I play a quick question my niece and passed away and Oh, yeah, all kinds of sickness, but I'm all right. Okay, what's your niece? A little back pain. My name is Ray, uh, Jenna Lee. Jenna, she sure have rough time in the hospital. And she passed on. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. One seven and just sat in prayer this morning. Janet Lee did. Yeah. Ray okay. Prayer for that, I guess. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Nice to meet you. Good huh. seeing you guys. Today. Good seeing you too. I'm sorry about Janet. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it's the Janet Lee that we knew? Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. Of course, there's a caution. I already alluded to it. And that is, um, you know, those who are teachers, those who are pastors, uh, we need to be uh, exercise discernment. We need to exercise discernment. Um, there's a lot of, and you've heard me teach on this before, there's a lot of foolishness that's, that's passed off as Christianity. And it's, it's not. Uh, Proverbs 14.15 says, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. You know... These are things that are dealing with life. These are things that are dealing with eternal life. These are life and death matters. And unfortunately, not everybody takes it seriously. So it would be wise on our behalf to, to watch out for folks like that. There was a pastor um, years and years ago, he used to joke, um, just because one wears a cowboy hat and wears cowboy boots and, and talks like a cowboy doesn't necessarily make them a cowboy. But the same thing with Christianity. Just because something sounds spiritual doesn't necessarily make it biblical. Alright, so be careful. You've got you to watch out for these things. You've got to watch out for these things. 
That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.14, he says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You know, we take that one particular verse, study to show thyself approved unto God, and we quote that verse many times without the context of that verse. And the reason why we are to study is because there are folks out there who are not telling us, not teaching us, the truth. That's the context of that passage. You know, the words of God are called fine gold in the scriptures. And the Bible is the touchstone of truth. So you take what's being preached and you take what's being taught and you strike it against the touchstone of the Word of God. If it comes out shiny gold, then then you know it's okay. But if it's anything other than that, then you are to refuse it. You're to reject it. You're even to refute it. Proverbs 14.25 says, A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. You monkey around with this book, and you're monkeying around with people's souls. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. There are unscrupulous... How many in here believe that there are unscrupulous teachers out there preaching God's word other than for the right reason for preaching it. Really? You honestly believe that? Well, Jesus believed that too. He said in Matthew 7, 15, He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There's a lot of wolves out there in sheep's clothing. they got the real nice church suit on. Right? But what they preach, what they're teaching, bad news. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this. And after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And unfortunately that's true because these wolves arise up right in the midst of the flock. Right in the midst of the flock. So we got to be careful. We got to be careful. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. You know, there's a lot of passages in the New Testament to uh, give you warning. What is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. They appear to be, you know, the apostles and they're really false apostles. Then you've got the entire book of 2 Peter you could study out. And he'll give you some of these red flags about these false teachers. James touches upon it a couple of times. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, folks, there's plenty in God's Word to give you, you know, the characteristics of these individuals that really the church is without excuse in allowing these individuals to have the influence that they have. But unfortunately, one of the one of the dilemmas of the of the church in the latter days of the Laodicean church is it's going to lose its discernment. It's going to have itching ears. It's going to want that kind of preacher, that kind of teacher. Now look at Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, verse 3. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. 
But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Least thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. He says, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Least thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Least strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And now mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost an all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. I taught in a previous lesson that this strange woman here in Proverbs chapter 5 is a type of the false church. And I kind of broke it down a little bit, and I'm not going to do that again, but it's kind of it's a picture of the false church, the false a false religion of the world system. But what I want you to focus on is the one who laments. The one who got caught up with the honeyed words of deception taught by the strange woman that had forsaken sound doctrine taught by those who attempted to instruct them how he's mourning and how he regrets not listening to his teachers see that's the picture of someone who has wandered away from sound teaching And they've gotten themselves caught up in this false uh, church, this false doctrine. And there are millions out there like that. And what happens is that a spiritual darkness descends on folks. A spiritual darkness descends on, on, on folks. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. They get so far away from the truth, and they get so deep into the lie, that they're no longer able to tell truth from the lie anymore. And that's a very dangerous place to put yourself. So what I want to talk about, with what little time I have left... Because I want to talk about spiritual blindness because spiritual blindness is happening even today. Even today. Because people are refusing to listen to the instructors of righteousness. And the reason why this country is in the shape it's in is because of this very reason. It's because of this very reason. So I want to share with you some points about spiritual blindness. The first point I want to talk about is the cause of spiritual blindness. The cause of spiritual blindness. I almost almost worked up a worksheet. I kind of wish I would have now. I'm not much of a worksheet person. But the first cause of uh, spiritual blindness is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. So if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Here's the first cause of spiritual blindness. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk so he's talking to believers walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind notice what it says here in verse 18 having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance as it in them because of the blindness of their heart. So the first cause of spiritual darkness is simply being separated from God. 
separated from God. Uh, For the lost, that's because they're lost. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. They don't have eternal life through Christ Jesus. They're lost. And because they are lost, they have spiritual blindness. And they are they have they do not have the ability to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God within him, he is not able to spiritually discern God's revealed truth. So, spiritual blindness is because you are lost. It's not because you're stupid. It's not because you don't have the intellect. But truth can only, be, can only be found through revelation, and that revelation is found in his word, and that truth can only be enlightened. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can enlighten us, enlighten man to truth. That's not my words. That's God's word. That's God's word. Okay, so that's the lost. What about... The redeemed. Is it possible for a saved man and woman to be in darkness? Yes. Yes. Because of their carnality. Because of their flesh. Because of their carnality, their carnality will impede their understanding. 1 Corinthians 3 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. So a, a believer who lives a sinful, carnal life, that will impede their understanding of God's revelation. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to go to hell. That doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation. It just simply means that their interests lie elsewhere. They're not interested in the things of God. The second cause of spiritual blindness is guess who? The devil. The devil. Second Corinthians four says, um, "In whom the God of this world." Second Corinthians four four says, "In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." The devil. The devil's got a lot of truth out there. His truth. And that truth of his is meant to hide the truth. And there's a lot of folks who buy into it. And the devil's truth stretches everywhere from denying God as creator to denying Jesus Christ as Savior. It it covers the whole gambit. And it's that old chestnut, yea, hath God said. It works very well. It works very well. But also, he targets the believer as well. He targets the believer as well. He may not be able to keep you out of heaven, but he can keep you ignorant. And how does he do that? False doctrine, false teaching. That's how he does it. By teaching false doctrine, false teaching. And he'll keep us ignorant. He'll keep us ignorant. Another, the third cause of spiritual darkness is simply sin. Sin. John 3, 19-20 says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Let me ask you a question, guys. 
if you're out of sorts with the Lord, do you want to come to church? If you're out of sorts with the Lord, if you know that your life is not right, do you want to pick up the Bible and read it? If you know that you're living in sin and you're just being a hellion, do you feel like praying or telling others about Jesus? It's sin. Sin. You know, believers who love the world more than they love the Lord, that's a cause of darkness. That's a cause of darkness. So what are some of the results of this spiritual darkness? Uh, Look again at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Are you guys glad I'm back teaching you? (laughs) Kind of a heavy subject, isn't it? Uh, Sometimes I tell my wife, I said, am I always gloom and doom? I don't mean to be gloom and doom. I just want to warn you guys. I I just want to warn you guys. So the results of spiritual darkness, Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, another passage, 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved, hardened his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You see, a a result of spiritual darkness, it it, it engenders an insensitivity to sin. You become insensitive to sin. I mean, at first your conscience may be pricked, You may realize, no, I shouldn't be involved in this. I shouldn't be doing this. But what happens when the more you do it and the more you get away with it, what happens? When you start grieving the Spirit of God, when you start silencing your conscience, what happens? Yeah, yeah. The same thing happens when you reject the preaching and teaching of God's Word. When you shun it, ignore it, you become insensitive. You become insensitive. I don't know what's going on. I hope it's, I hope it's okay. And then when you become insensitive to sin, something else happens. You're given over to your sin. You're given over to your sin. That's what Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 25 talks about. These are people who didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. These are people who didn't want to recognize God as the creator. So what did God do? He gave them up to their sin. He gave them up to their sin. That's a consequence of spiritual darkness is being given over, given over to your sin. That's a terrible place to be. Corruption seeps into the mind and the heart and soon the attitude goes along with it. And then pretty soon, you're just given over to the... God more or less says, okay, if that's the path you want to go, it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of sin, heart of the sons of men, is fully set in them to do evil. We kind of saw we kind of saw that in a in a city on the west coast, right? It started out as a little bit of a riot. Nobody did anything to stop it. That riot got bigger. Nobody did anything to stop it. It got bigger, and then pretty soon the whole city was under siege because they were getting away with it. Nobody was standing up for what was right or what was lawful. And so the city was given over. 
It happens the same way in your life. It happens the same way in everybody's life. And then you find yourself focusing and thinking and pondering on the wrong things. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides would strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. And what he's simply saying is, Guys, you are focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on the wrong things. Religion becomes superficial. It becomes shallow. Uh, Morality becomes relative. What was right is now wrong. What is wrong is now right. Things get turned upside down. Because you're focusing on the wrong things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If you fall into this spiritual darkness, you no longer think on those good things. You begin to focus on other things. And then finally, you become reprobate. You've ever heard reprobate? Ron's called me reprobate a couple of times. Reprobate, that's a weird word, isn't it? Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Reprobate. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and not every good work, reprobate. I looked that word reprobate up, and the very first time the word reprobate shows up is in Jeremiah 6 and verse 30, talking about the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel became corrupt, they started listening to the wrong teachers and instructors, they became idolaters, rebelling against everything that the Lord um, wanted them to adhere to. And so they were called reprobate silver. Reprobate silver. Now Jeremiah was a prophet of righteousness and God sent Jeremiah to try to call these people to repentance. But these people wouldn't have any of it. They, they, even throw, they even threw poor Jeremiah in the prison. And so these people became reprobate silver. Reprobate. What is reprobate? It means you're alloyed. You're not pure. Reprobate silver is silver that is alloyed with baser metals. When a person's reprobate, they are alloyed with lies, not the truth. They're alloyed with lies, not the truth. And when you reach that point, and you're so stubborn in your mind, so obstinate in your thinking and irregardless of what God has tried to do to try to call you back what else can God do but let you go because God will not impede is that the right word on someone's free will if that's the way you want to go God's going to respect that Does it break his heart? 
Yep. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's why it's important to listen to the instructors of righteousness that God has gifted the church with. Because we we live in a day and age where there's a lot of stuff out there claiming to be truth, and it's not. And it's not. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Proverbs 19.27 says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes the error from the words of knowledge. We want to hear those words of knowledge. I do. I certainly do. So let me give you a really brief overview. Very simple overview of things to look for in a good instructor in righteousness. Alright? Very brief. Nothing in depth. Ephesians 4, 11-12, one more time. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. So the very first thing that you want to notice, the first thing you want to take note of in a good pastor or a good teacher of righteousness is this. Is the mission their goal? Is the mission of God their primary goal? Is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost... Is that their goal? Is that their heartbeat? To get the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost humanity who needs to hear the truth. Do they have a burden for souls? Do they have a burden to teach and mend souls torn by sin, lost in darkness? And to train up a people to reach those people. Is that their heartbeat? Is that their heartbeat? Is that the purpose of their pastorate? Is that the purpose of their teaching? To fulfill the mission of God to the glory of God. That's a pretty good indication. That's a good pastor. That's a good teacher. Verse 13, Ephesians 4. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do they strive to keep unity in the church? Do they strive to keep unity in the church? Are they striving to perfect the people in his congregation? To give them every opportunity to grow in Christ. To give them every opportunity to become involved in the mission. To to give them every opportunity to come together in unity, in love for one another. For the purpose of the mission. Ephesians 4.14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in and wait to deceive. Are they teaching sound doctrine to bring stability to the faith? Are they teaching sound doctrine? Are they, are they, do they love us enough to reprove us? To correct us when we need reproving and correcting? Do they give us the instruction that we need to fulfill that mission? 
Are they seeking to stabilize and establish the church in the faith by teaching its doctrines faithfully, biblically? Teaching us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Ephesians 4.15 But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Is the pastor's teachers seeking to establish the church in the love of Christ? To, to promote love for God, love for the church, love for the lost. Are they teaching the, the doctrine from love? Are they reproving? From love? Are they correcting from love? Is the heartbeat of the pastors and teachers love for God and love for its people and love for its love? I've been in churches that are sound in doctrine but have no love. And it's miserable. It's miserable. Without this supernatural love, the mission will not be accomplished. Are we seeing that in our pastors and our teachers? Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. Yeah, I see that. I see all of these things. That's why I'm here. Because if these things were missing, I wouldn't be here. I'd be missing. So we see from Proverbs the crucial role of our heart attitude concerning authority. First authority is God. And then our parents and our government and our our master-servant relationships and yes, even with our pastors and and our teachers. Like it says in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It must begin there. If you don't fear God, all this other stuff's just going to be all out of whack. It's going to be all out of whack. In fact, you know, the very beginning of this whole mess that we find ourselves in was an issue of authority. And uh, that's what we're going to end our lesson on authority with next Sunday, Lord willing. Any questions or any comments about what what I just said? Nothing? Okay. Yeah, it's good to be back. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. Well, I can't tell from your faces. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, you were you were born with that face, right? Okay. That's cool. All right, so if there's no uh, comments, we'll go ahead and close in prayer.